We're talking about means of grace. Everybody aware of that? And specifically, the Bible, the Word of God. And uh, last, I think last week, uh, Jeremy talked about uh, the authority that that Scripture brings. Any questions on that? Well, I've got a couple. <laughs> and we'll get into that because it's a uh, number of things. But let's start with prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that we have this book. We have these, these words to, uh, to guide our lives, convict us of our sins, and lead us to the Creator and the Savior. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we want to talk about the Word of God, but specifically preaching and uh, probably look at family worship. And then next week, Sheldon will talk about uh, personal Bible study. What is that like? How do you do that? Uh, I would encourage you all to check out this book. It says, How Do You Read the Bible by J.C. Ryle. It's short, so it doesn't have any pictures, but it's short enough so I can read it. But uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today. But because we are talking about the Word of God, it would probably be best if you have one with you. Most people have uh, hard copies. Others have uh, it on their phone. Curious, who carries a hard copy Bible? Look at that. <laughs> it's a soft bag. Just soft bag, hard bag. Nobody carries the, the family Bible. <laughs> Who has a Who has a family Bible? I got two of them. You know, one from each side of the family. Yeah. Just thick. Sit on the oh, man. Mm -hmm. table. Had the family tree in it and the whole bit. Some of it. Not filled out. I was looking for the, the first. in jail. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first Bible I ever received was in Germany. Living in Germany, and it was a little good news for modern man, and it was literally about that big. Just Just the New Testament. And I'd written my address in it, and now I've lost it, so I don't know where it is. Uh, but I would like someone to look up 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. You may have read this last week, but if not, somebody read 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Damien may have that memorized. Uh, no. <laughs> I might, I just not by verse. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, so do you believe that? Yes. Start with an easy question. Yes. Why do you believe that? It's worked for me. Works for you? And because, because it says it? Or? Yeah, because you read it, you go, that's right, and I need that because I'm not able to do this by myself. And mm -hmm. if he's already done it for me, then it's a great encouragement. What are the other things that are in in that verse that it says it's good for? Rebuking. Rebuking. 
training. Training. Always makes you wonder, training for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. <clears throat> Anything else? Makes us adequate for every good work that he's already planned for us to walk in. So the end of all this is to be complete. What's the rest of that? Equipped. Equipped. So we're talking about training, we're talking about equipped for what? Every good work. Every good work. So that's why we have this book, huh? How are the good works going? Do you do good works all the time? No, we do evil all the time. We do bad things all the time. It's our nature. Okay? So the reason I'm bringing all this up, and you guys, I'm sure, have read this this series of verses before: teaching for reproof, for correction, for teaching in righteousness. So that you can be complete, equipped for every good work. So when we think about training, we're being trained for every good work. We're being taught, we're being rebuked or reproved in righteousness so that we can do it. So when it says in righteousness, what how do you put this together? We're doing all this in righteousness. In other words, through whose righteousness? God. Through Christ's righteousness. Not your own, but Christ's righteousness, so that you can do every good work. I don't do good works all the time because I'm fallible. You are fallible. The only thing that is infallible is the Word of God. The only person who is infallible is Jesus Christ. Everybody else has, has not made the mark. So keep that in mind as we talk about why do we even have the Word. Uh, another verse that I'm sure you've read, Hebrews 4.12. Josh, you've got a great radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's more accurate. <laughs> For the word of God is living and active and sharper than each way short, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, now there's something in there. Thoughts and intentions. Are your intentions always good? Are your thoughts always good? Hmm. So, what is the word doing in that verse? Dave, I didn't hear the question. So according to that verse, what does the Bible do for you? Piercing and judging. It's discerning. It's dividing. It's finding the intentions of your heart. That's sobering. Because the intentions of my heart, my heart is deceitful among all things. So, so far I'm seeing some things in these verses that aren't necessarily encouraging, at least to me. 
It's, it's, it's finding out my thoughts and my intentions. It's bringing that to light. It's pointing out that I'm not doing good works all the time, every good work that I do. I'm being equipped for it, but I can't always do it. So there's something going on here. Now, uh, Romans 10, 13 through 17. I'm going to read that because it gets to the heart of what we're talking about today. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So all of these things are based on faith. You have to have faith to believe. The faith comes from God. Amen. The faith comes from God. How do we get that faith? How do we know about the faith unless somebody tells us about that faith? That series of verses is about somebody bringing out the reality of what we're talking about. That's what the Word of God does. So, means means of grace means it's an instrument or a tool or an instrument of grace. So how do we use this tool? How do we read the Bible? How do we know that Scripture is right? We talked about that last week. Sheldon's going to talk about how do we actually read the Bible but today, how do we, is preaching a good thing? Is preaching the right thing? How do we know a preacher is right? There's, uh, I'm sure you all know uh, Desiring God, John Piper. Mm-hmm. Well, someone asked him a question. They said, why listen to sermons if we all have a Bible to read on our own now? Since Martin Luther, when he, made it into German, it allowed everyone to read it who were in that place in German, in Germany. There were some things that happened if you followed the Anabaptists, which are sort of the precursor to Baptists. Baptists. You might know the story of what happened there. I can't remember the, the, the guy's name, but he starts reading the Bible because he doesn't need he doesn't need a priest anymore to read for him. He can read it because it's been translated into German. He reads it, starts to interpret it, and goes down a certain path. They are, uh, he creates this group called the Anabaptists, or I don't know what it was back then. They end up in the town of Munster for a couple of years being sieged by the Catholic Church. The end of that, short story, or long story short, they put him in a cage on top of the church until he died. The cage is still there today, 500 years later. Because he interpreted scripture the way he wanted to, they went down a path that was, even to the Catholic Church, was was heresy. So in some cases, reading the Bible by yourself could lead to putting you in a cage on top of a church, or something worse. Um, So, if I read my Bible, why do I need to listen to uh, your sermons, John Piper? Anybody have an answer to that? 
Well, if you're like me, there's sometimes you read certain passages and you just kind of sit there scratching your head and you go, what? Mm -hmm. And then you maybe listen to somebody that you respect their uh, you know, theological take on things and their training and stuff, somebody like R.C. Sproul or somebody like that. And, um, so yeah, they can, they can clarify certain things, more mm -hmm. than, or you know somebody like um, Ryan mm -hmm. can I, care, clarify things that you didn't really understand completely. Are you dividing the someone preaching the gospel from discussing amongst others, or the Bible preaching? Is that yeah. two separate things that you're saying? Well, uh, where I guess we're headed is, especially today, because you can listen to podcasts, you can read the Bible on your own, you can get as many commentaries as you possibly can find. So why do I why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to listen to a preacher if I can find all that stuff? Because for first myself? and foremost, he said that's God's plan that we, through the foolishness of preaching, right, and that's that's my first place. Yeah, it's uh, a good point. Josh, did you have something? I was going to reference Ephesians 4.11. Mm -hmm. he, gave, he gave teachers to us. So it's a gift. So number one, this is, again, according to John Piper, but it still makes sense. Pastors are uniquely gifted to teach. Not every pastor is gifted in the same way, but they are chosen by God, if they are called by God, to preach the, to preach the Word. 1 Timothy 3.2 means they're able to teach. 2 Timothy 4.1 uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul is exhorting Timothy to preach the word. He's being commanded to preach the word. So one aspect, there were five points that, that uh, Piper makes. They're gifted to teach, so they're able to teach. They're also commanded to teach. Second, sermons help us read the Bible for ourselves better. It gives us context to hear from an experienced perspective, from an experienced person who's trained in learning about the Bible, who spent four to 10 or 20 years learning about the Bible, it helps us to focus on that particular subject or, or topic with a little bit of context. Third, preaching awakens new affections for God. It's not just your head, but your heart. And then fourth, God saves, as you said, through the foolishness of preaching. 1 Corinthians, to quote that verse, 1-2, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So what is foolishness to others, and even to our own ears sometimes, is manifested by the Holy Spirit to change our lives, change our hearts. And then last, and really, Kevin, similar to what you said, we need to hear the word from other believers. We need to check these things as the Bereans did. They studied it to find it and prove it. These things are important. Tabletop Talk Magazine. I'm going to read a, a little bit from there. When you read the Bible or listen to faithful preaching, there is more happening than mere communication of ideas. The word is more than ink and paper, and preaching is more than a speech. The word is living, as the Lord is working effectively, effectually by His Holy Spirit through it. There are many pictures of this in Scripture. 
the Lord through his word is sowing imperishable seeds. First mm. Peter 123. He's bringing about repentance and faith. That's all of Romans 10 we just read. Feeding your souls with the bread of life. That's in Matthew 4 and in John 6. Creating a source of living waters in our hearts. John 7, 7, 38. And washing his church. That's in Ephesians 5, 26. To have the word abide in us is to be in union with Christ and it will be and to be conformed to his will so that we learn to desire what is godly and what is holy. That's in John 15. This means that the Word is an incomparably precious and powerful gift of God yes. to us that He works through it. In the Word, we encounter Christ. In encountering Christ, we commune with Him. So without the Word, we don't have an understanding of what is godly, what is holy. We don't understand our sin. We're not convicted of sin. And we don't have union with Christ. So there's all these pieces to it that make this incredibly important. One of the great blessings of being under faithful preaching is that it often exposes us to unexpected truths, corrections, and encouragements. Left to ourselves and our own ideas, we tend to end up living or learning according to our own preferences. Yeah, That's dangerous. As in the case of any Baptist, you end up in a cage on top of a church. In some cases, this is, is resulted in, or let's see, in some cases, this can result in selected parts of Scripture being abused. Being under regular expository preaching, which covers the breadth of Scripture over time and brings us old things and new, will give the believer a healthy spiritual diet. If we just were left to our own devices, we don't have that context. We don't see the healthy, broad perspective of a spiritual diet. Having a preacher who knows the needs and concerns of a congregation result in guidance that can be challenging, but will ultimately restore our souls and lead us into paths of righteousness. Psalms 23. Fifteen times in the New Testament it says, He who has ears, let him hear. So I think there's a theme when you start looking at the Bible and you look at how important preaching is to that, that we hear that, that we listen to it. Uh, one of the things Jeremy said last week, put you, you kind of in the table talk, the John Piper category here. Uh, <laughs> when we make the Bible about anything else other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified for the sins of the world, then we point, then the point and authority of Scripture is lost. So let me ask you all a question: Have you ever been to a, to a church service or gone to hear a sermon? And uh, it's about something else. Yes. It's, what, what do you hear? Based on what Jeremy said, if it's not about Jesus Christ, what, what do you often hear? How pleased he is with us, and we're good in ourselves, and good works, and how important it is, and look out for number one. Mm hmm. It happens. It doesn't mean that those are necessarily wrong. Right. But in the case, if it's not about Jesus Christ, this is a good litmus test point my wife and I would often use. If I go and I hear a, a, a sermon or a preacher, is it about me or is it about Christ? 
It's really quite simple. Litmus test in my when I walk out of there, am I thinking of Christ or am I thinking of myself? And there are many churches or preachers who push that. And in some cases it's heresy. In some cases it's it, it leads you away from Christ. Uh, the best, the worst thing you can imagine, and I think it was Horton, Timothy Horton, Christless Christianity, talked about what happens when on a Sunday morning, everybody's going to church, everybody's dressed up nicely, all things appear to be good and moral and perfect, but Christ is never preached. That's just leading to moralism. Morals are good, absolutely important. But without the understanding of Christ in that, it's extremely dangerous. It's dead. It's dead. Yeah, yeah. Have you been to a church where uh, they teach you about how to live a cleaner life, for instance? Or politics. Um, How to be patriotic, for instance. Good things. But is it pushing you away from Christ and towards yourself or some other means than the word. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah. That was in uh, Christ's Christianity. That's his like yeah. context. That's it. Just like this big can of cheese. <laughs> uh, you know, what is it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy in Houston. Uh, Chandler. Oh, has really nice hair. Oh, oh OC. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Your best life now. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Your best life now. Well, what happens when that's not true? Yeah. What happens when your life falls apart? Please tell me. Raise your hand if you have everything together and your life is exactly the best life you could ever imagine. <laughs> Please, uh, really, raise your hand. I'd like to hear your testimony. Erica said Ron wants to raise his hand. He's <laughs> <laughs> too afraid to. But Erica said. That's dangerous. If we take the word of God and preachers preach away from Christ, it's deadly. Because at the end of your life, or what happens when you haven't trusted Christ? It's not going to go well. <clears throat> It's a good thing if you did have your blessed best life now because it's not going to be good after that. <laughs> right. Well, in some cases, you may be having your best life now, and ultimately you're not going to hell. Yeah, that's, that may be the best life some a non-Christian may have. It's not going to get any better. Uh, A.W. Pink, Attributes of God. Has anybody read that book? Uh, one of the statements that, that Pink says is God cannot be found out by searching. He can be known only as He is revealed to the heart by the Holy Spirit through the Word. Through the Word. So we can read it personally, absolutely, and are, are really commanded to. But to hear that Word changes your heart. It absolutely changes your heart. Dave, are you bringing up that right there? That, that actually makes me wonder on that first um, set of verses that you went to. Uh, I actually can't remember where you were at now. 13 through 17? Second, second, second Timothy. Timothy? Yeah. 
Uh, that part where he, he says, um, knowing who you've learned them from, I, I'm wondering, because I, I, I really don't know. Maybe he's talking about himself, but I'm assuming he's talking about God there. Like, not, not like you're being taught the Bible, but you're discovering God through reading it. Is, do you know if that's... Well, it's Paul talking to Timothy right, and encouraging Timothy to preach the word. So when you look at First and Second Timothy, the context is, is Paul writing to his dear friend Timothy. Um, what was your question? <laughs> Let me go there real quick. Give the actual. So Timothy learned the gospel from Paul, or indirectly from Paul, perhaps, uh, through his parents, his mother and grandmother, I mean, and uh, Paul, I think, is re referring to Timothy knowing that he didn't get this from at random or from, or from uh, one of the well-known false teachers that was wandering around. Yeah. Timothy, I think, was already in the preaching business, so to speak, mm -hmm. this when he wrote the letter, Paul wrote the letter. And that it was, was an encouragement. Of, yeah. And I don't know if we're answering questions, but the whole point of it is he's encouraging him. He's, he has, I think, some, some infirmities, uh, Timothy does, and he's helping him understand why you have this word, where it comes from, and that it is good. It is good and profitable. Uh, the London Baptist Confession. Uh, I'm going to go through a, a number of, of pieces in there that talk about... Um, the importance of preaching. Uh, the LBC chapter, uh, chapter, I think it's one, uh, talks about the Holy Scriptures. It says the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary unto salvation. So there are things that you see in the world. There are things that you see in nature that point towards Christ. But the Scripture is the only sufficient and certain and infallible rule for saving knowledge. Again, extremely important to realize, can I come to God by looking at nature? You need the word. You need to understand the conviction of your own heart right. that you cannot save yourself. That's right. Yeah, that's incredibly important. Chapter 20 of the London Baptist Confession. Of the gospel and of the extent of grace thereof, this chapter 20. The promise of Christ and salvation by him is revealed only by the word of God. Neither do the works of creation or providence with the light of nature make discovery of Christ or of grace by him so much as in a general or obscure way, much less that men destitute of revelation by him by the promise or gospel should be enabled thereby to attain saving faith or repentance. Again, same thing, just a different chapter. The holy scriptures are what you have to read and understand and comprehend through the Holy Spirit. 
not just creation or providence. The other thing, that last word, repentance, when you think about the preaching of the word and one of the purposes of the world, the world, the word is repentance. Without repentance, you don't know that you, without conviction, you can't have repentance. Without repentance, you know, it's, there's no savior, saving grace. As repentance in chapter 15 says, as repentance is to be continued through the whole course of our lives, so it is every man's duty to repent. And there's a bunch of other words, but it's, as you can imagine, the 500-year-old English is basically a run-on sentence. Um, it makes the preaching of repentance necessary. You have to have the, the preaching of repentance from, from the Word, from the pulpit. Um, do you ever go to church services and don't experience repentance? Sure. Happens a lot. How do you know when you're sinning? The Holy Spirit. Does the Holy, he... does the Holy Spirit convict you uh, if you're not a Christian? It says that that's his job. It's common grace, common. Yeah. If you never heard a preacher, could you be convicted of your sin? It could happen, but it's yeah. So I mean, rare. You, you hear stories of you know people picking up the Gideon Bible in the hotel room, and, and you know a lot of times those were people who had heard the word, yeah, as kids or whatever, and <clears throat> wandering around. It sort of comes back, and uh, somehow the connection comes through the scriptures. No preacher right then and there. I, I would be I'd be very surprised if there had never been a preacher. Yeah. that had introduced the scriptures to that person. But, I mean, mm -hmm. the chances of throwing a Bible at somebody and them yeah. catching it, reading it, understanding it. <clears throat> Low. Doctor? So when you're saying sin, I'm not sure if, if they do, because I think you may have a moral, whatever you worship, whatever, you know, you're whatever you value, the hierarchy of values you have, which could be the universe or just kindness or something. So you may feel natural bad, law. Bad. I'm not even sure if it's natural law. Yeah. And I think natural law would be even something separate from that again, mm -hmm. which would be sort of like a conscious or something that's like written on us as, as human beings from Adam and creation of creatures of God. But a sin would, I think, be clear awareness that you have done something affront to God or what his desires are. It's like you recognize that you messed up in God's eyes and created a distance there. So it's like I would separate those a little bit. I think that's a really important point. Baron, did you ask I was going to say something along those lines. It's like it kind of depends on who you think you're being offensive to. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're not a Christian, you can say, okay, it's offensive if I like do like cut someone off in traffic or if I like lie to somebody or that. It's offensive, but it's not offensive towards God. And so therefore it's not a sin because it's not, it's the, 
object of being offended or the offendee. Yeah. Romans talks yeah. about, Paul yeah. talks about that. If you don't have the law, how do you know you have sin? Right. So let's let's pressure test that. Let's let's say there's a murder. Does someone know that is not wrong? If you kill someone, I'm going to assume everybody in here would know that's wrong. But as a general rule in, in all of mankind, forget about war and some extenuating circumstances, thou shalt not kill. Is that a natural law? Cannibals. Cannibals, okay. I'm not going to go there. Call <laughs> <laughs> that extenuating circumstances. It's a unique, a unique I, I, perspective. I guess what I'm saying is that, and that's why I was saying, is like it kind of depends on your hierarchy if those other people aren't necessarily humans or it's part of your like society and it's like you say that's a maladaptive or it's like bad behavior it's like maybe for you but this is how we do our thing so or in some other tribes where you're supposed to go and take a scalp or you're supposed to there's others where they respect life a lot more where it's like you just have to touch the enemy and then come back so depending on what your view of life is maybe maybe it's maybe not, not I but it's taught Say that again. I think it's learned or through teaching. Like if, respect if someone life. was never yeah. taught respect that life. killing someone else is bad, would they know that? I, would they know I it? Think they need, I think it's taught. Even think if the they find out. The, the, the top piece that Leona's talking about too is like our kids would be like, oh look, we killed an ant. Ha ha ha. Oh look, yeah. we, like, you, you get kind of draw the line somewhere. Hey, you got to respect the, the life that's out there, right? Because if you don't, like, in a, like, a, what was wrong with word, maladaptive thing, like, you can escalate that too, killing a human's okay. Mm -hmm. But it's taught, like Leona was saying, is like, you, you're being guided to respect life. And so, therefore, you know that it's a bad thing to kill somebody else. Um, earlier, you were making the point that we need special revelation to know God. You can't, you can't find God through the general revelation, things like nature and creation. Saving knowledge. Right. Right. Yeah. And right, exactly. You can see the glimpses of the creator. Absolutely. I can I can look at a but night who sky. Who is that? Right. Assuming you can see the stars here. There's there's this, you know, a, a impression of, of something beyond you. And I think you can be convinced, even in your own mind, even the Native Americans, there's something beyond them. Right. Even so, going back to murder and uh, totally made you guys go down this path about, well, you know, if it's right or wrong, and, you know, maybe somebody knows, maybe they don't. But does that in itself convince you that you need someone outside of yourself? No. Does that point you towards Christ? Even just the general knowledge that it's wrong? No. No. That's not. No. Now look at the Ten Commandments, again, from Scripture. And it goes through these to point out they cannot live a life obeying all ten commandments plus the others. Well, all these I've kept from my youth. Who is my, who is my neighbor? Yeah, yeah. So all of this is pointing that you're, you're bad. You're sinful. You can't measure up. Even if it was just murder by itself, I'm convicted. I'm remorseful because I see what it's. I see just in the natural setting what it's done to the people left by the person I just killed, their family member, or it was the father or something. But it doesn't point you to Christ. That's why you need preaching of the word to point these things out. Because that doesn't just happen 
through natural revelation or providence. Dave, to, to go back to, which I had to look it up to make sure I was right, because it had been a long time since I've read Mere Christianity, but one thing that Lewis points out in Mere Christianity, he was very philosophical. He was very much an intellect and a philosophical thinker. And in the first part of Mere Christianity, this is going back to what you said about moral code, um, that he discusses the law of human nature in the first half of the, of the book. And I'm just going to read this quote. It says, when studying human history, he claims, one is struck by how similar different societies' moral codes are. This kind of goes back to what both of you guys were saying. Um, and at least at a fundamental level, Lewis argues that moral law isn't just an arbitrary human invention. It's actually a real timeless thing invented by an all-powerful being who stands outside the confines of material space and time and reveals itself to humans through moral law. And so this is getting back to the fact that there's a common thread that weaves through all of us of moral law and how can we all be so similar from different cultures and having a different um, uh, uh, hierarchy. Thank you. hierarchy or someone, even if you're an atheist or even if you're from a culture that doesn't have, professes a Christian faith, you still have that same moral thread. I just thought that yeah. it's an interesting aspect that that's one of the things that brought Lewis to Christianity was realizing that particular aspect. And I'd go one step further and say that moral law, or really the knowledge of moral law, does not save you. Right. Absolutely. It absolutely does not 100%. save you. It just condemns you. Mm -hmm. yes. So now what am I going to do? I, exactly. I've, got the, I've seen the Ten Commandments at the local courthouse. And I'm convinced now those are right, and I, I'm, I'm doomed. Right. Am I saved? Am, am I pointed towards Christ? You I'm are in despair. Right. I'm completely in despair. What but then that? I think it's so neat. Christ went on. Go ahead, Sean. Christ went on to say, whether you do it or not, whether you know it or not, I hear your thoughts, and that's what got to me. I thought. Okay, I've done pretty good about keeping it away from everybody else out here, but mm -hmm. if you know my thoughts, I'm sunk. Yeah, and I, I this is probably blasphemy, <laughs> but I, I used to think the Ten Commandments are meaningless without the overlay of the cross on top of that imagery. Right. Without the imagery of the cross, the Ten Commandments are complete despair and the end of, why am I here? I feel like a nihilist. It, you just be, you become completely without reason or point or basis to, to a future. Are you going to say something? Well, I was going to say, only that's, but only if in seeing the Ten Commandments, you somehow associate them with some authority. Yeah. Like, you're not doomed if there's no God. Like, if those Ten Commandments are societal guidance, mm -hmm. um, and there's you know but you're not you're not accountable to anything or anyone for obeying them right off you go yeah right so somehow <clears throat> and maybe this is you know the, the the law written on their hearts like it says in romans um is a is a way that which is a common common grace i guess we call it not means of grace but common grace mm -hmm. like the rain falls on the good and the bad, right? right. So, uh, the idea that there is a God, 
and that he might have written those Ten Commandments is floating around and worries people, right? Yeah. So that, at some point, the Holy Spirit could come after somebody and say, now's your time. Are you thinking about those Ten Commandments? Yeah. And who wrote them? <laughs> and how you can't keep them. <laughs> right, yeah. And by the way, in right. Scripture it says, right. every man is appointed which a is, point in time to die. Which yeah. is very often what is getting preached by a preacher of the gospel. What is a preacher of the gospel saying? He's saying, hey, you're, you're a sinner, don't, don't you agree? And people are thinking, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I am. What based on what? I mean, so that's, I mean, the Holy Spirit is starting to convict that person yeah. in the truth of the gospel. And, and, and what happens by preaching? What happens when you hear that and your image of God is based on your understanding, because today's Father's Day, is based on your father? And what if your father was a horrible person? What if he, you know, all the worst things you can think of that men can do, man can do. What if that's your image of your father? What do you think of God? Yeah, same thing. It's a disapproving man with his arms folded, pointing his finger at you. I remember the back of a, a semi as I was driving down the road, and it was a guy like that with his finger, and it said, "Have you read the Bible today?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm saying, what, "What are you doing? What, what is the point of that? To convict you? Okay, I'm convicted. I didn't read my Bible that day. Am I pointed towards Christ?" Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whoever the trucking company owner has his mission's accomplished. The yeah. Christian that saw that is like, dang, yep. I'm convicted. <laughs> I guess I'll run off the road, man. Uh, the, I want to finish with the catechism. This is from the LBC, but it's similar to Westminster. Uh, I don't remember. It's question 91. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Again, where I'm going is we're convinced that even through through the, the Ten Commandments, even through natural or common law, we recognize things that are wrong. But how do we push this towards salvation? So the question is, how is the word made effectual to salvation? It's from the Catechism. It says, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. That statement changes just looking at the Ten Commandments or the tablet or natural law or realizing if you sped in a, in a, if you went over whatever, that that's a completely different perspective. That's what the preaching of the Word does. And we are given this gift by God through the Holy Spirit to men such as Ryan and others to preach the word for our own benefit to see where we're lost, where our need is, and where how do I get to where I want to go? So when guy asked John Piper, why do I need why do I need that? I can I can get everything from, from reading the Bible myself. Well what if you don't? What if it just points you to, to the wrong or in in an in, errant or fallible way of, of salvation. So I encourage us to keep listening to Ryan <laughs> and also to keep him and others who preach the word accountable. Yeah. 
Because you're reading the Word, you're hearing other things, you're hearing other believers. How do you know when a preacher is, is veering off the path? You know it in your heart. You know it because the Holy Spirit teaches you that. That's why it's so important to have the preaching of the Word. Not just accountable, but praying for them and their delivery and preparation and all those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll end on that. One other thing, and I think we got a little time. I was uh, saved, if you will, a long time ago. I was a wee lad. Uh, actually, yeah, just coming out of college. And I remember reading the Bible and looking at it saying, these words mean nothing. I cannot make heads or tails up. I've heard them my whole life because I grew up in a Christian home. But I wasn't a Christian. And when I was reading that word, it meant nothing to me. But something happened to me that said, go home or you'll never see your parents again. It was this real clear uh, thing. Not everybody gets these kinds of experiences. I get it. But it was very clear. So I picked up what I could, whatever would fit in or on the car and left. I still owe my landlord 400 bucks. I did pay him back, but <laughs> that was a clear, effectual calling for me. I couldn't read the Bible by myself. I go to my parents' church, I hear the word preached, and I am convicted immediately. It was, it was the same power that raised Christ from the dead saved me. And I saw it in my own life, and now it changed my understanding. It wasn't the Ten Commandments. It was the conviction that my sin is against a holy God. Yeah. And I need something besides myself to get right, to get out of this situation. Anybody else have a, an experience, not like that, but that was from a preacher? Not just your own understanding of the Word, but from somebody preaching the Word of God and salvation to you. Yes. Share. Go ahead, please. Okay, this is, it was after I was saved that I, I mean, what led me to Christ was a man preaching and then we went forward to talk with someone and, and that whole experience did and then it went on for three years because I was a self-righteous person. And so, um, but the, the one that you're asking about is because that I had been sprinkled to join the Methodist church, then I was baptized to join a Baptist church and then the Holy Spirit <laughs> quickened my spirit and made me alive to God and to Christ Jesus. And then we went to Okinawa and there was a man preaching about baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the Holy Spirit said to me, through that word that was taught, you've never been baptized in obedience to me. I have. I was sprinkled and then I was immersed because that was scriptural baptism. Please, I don't want to have to tell these people I lied here and I lied here because I really wasn't lying. I didn't know the truth. And, and I don't want to have to do that. But then the Holy Spirit just kept reminding me because the pastor was teaching on you got the cart before the horse. <laughs> and so I just kept hearing that and we go to church the next Sunday and he still was on that sermon and so I said please Lord don't make me have to do this I I've been baptized no you know that's I just kept hearing no that 
you haven't. Yeah. If you won't do the first thing I tell you to do in obedience, neither will you do the second. You will keep rationalizing early, and you're going to keep telling me why I'm wrong. What a, what a beautiful picture of how important the preaching of the Word is. Yeah. Because without that, however many times it took, and so you would not I went known. forward and I, I told yeah. the pastor that, and then he said, would you share that with the congregation? And I said, yes and of course then I turned around the balcony's full and I was like oh how do I do that but he gave me utterance and and I did share that and there were other people who had done the same things I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to be the only one they're going to think I'm such a liar they're not even going to want me here but that isn't what happened you know that's what the devil does he's had us so long and had us working in the flesh part of our lives. We know how to do that. We don't know how to walk in the Spirit. And that's what he starts teaching us in the sanctification process is, listen to me when I quote scripture that I've already shown you, you know, and do what I say. And life is going to be so easy. And it has it has been a glorious, I mean, I when you ask the question, yes, I believe I've got my best life now because I have Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And but it's only going to get better. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. And life everlasting. I have the greatest hope in the world, and no man can take it away from me yeah. because he's holding me. I mean, you know, it's I just yes, we have the best life now. <laughs> That's beautiful. Anybody else? I think we can end on that. That was awesome. Yeah. All right, I'll pray. Thank you, Father, for the words of encouragement. From believers, from those who have heard the word preached, uh, we thank you for uh, that commandment. We thank you for Ryan, and Jeremy, and others who preach uh, that follow the the urging of the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us towards you, to guide us towards redemption and forgiveness in your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.